You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeusof.com. Well, welcome to the show. My name's Christian Corley and with me is Gavin Phillips. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm doing extremely well, Christian. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad. Thank you very much. I've uh, been uh, exercising the old grey matter over the past few weeks. Started a uh, course, the details of which I will not share or bore you with, dear listeners. But uh, yes, it's uh, been a nice change, getting out and about, meeting new people. Which, yeah, that's suppose what life's all about in, in some ways. It's, uh, it's not all about sitting in front of computers and uh, playing with tech, is it? It's not. Uh, I knew you said sadly there, but no, no, it's not. <laughs> Getting out of the bar, it's good. It's good, for, it's good for the soul. We are here with our weekly chat of uh, tech news that matters to you and how you use your computers and your devices and the hardware and tech around your home. And then we've got some tips and tricks, and we will finish, I hope, with some recommendations. Although, uh, checking the uh, notes for the plan, neither of us have submitted a recommendation at that stage. At this stage, I don't know how that's going to turn out. <laughs> We'll kick off. Uh, this came uh, This came to me as a bit of a surprise. I wasn't aware of this. European regulators are examining an alert on the, on the iPhone 12 uh, concerning radiation levels. The concerns are that the iPhone 12 model is emitting too much electromagnetic radiation. And France has gone so far as ordering Apple to cease sales of the device. It's, uh, it's quite extraordinary, actually, isn't it? Because I'm sure you and many of our listeners will remember the whole hoo-ha many years ago about, uh, you know, using a, a mobile phone would cause all sorts of awful things to happen to your yeah. brain. Uh, and, you know, they've been rightly disproven over years with multiple tests. And now, <laughs> turns out it might be true. But um, there's more information on this as well. And obviously, Apple have very strongly disputed the allegations against them and uh, will obviously fight this uh, because it's a bad look for their company. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, I mean, we'll give you a link to this in the show notes. Um, I mean, the World Health Organization says a large number of studies um as Gavin says, have um, proven that there is no adverse effects caused by mobile phones. Uh, it seems to be a localised action at the moment. I believe the Germans and the Belgians are also looking at possibly, and the Dutch, are also looking into uh, banning sales on the iPhone 12. I don't imagine the USA or Canada will follow. But uh, it's difficult to say at this stage. I'm sh- I- Apple do rigorous testing of their devices, don't they? So unless there's some scenario in which substandard batteries have got into the supply chain, could it be? Is it? Are we? I mean, are we? Is this battery related or is this RF? Because it doesn't really. Uh, f- from what really I've clear, read, it's, it? no, it's it's not particularly clear where it's come from. But I think a key thing to note when it comes to these sorts of issues regarding radiation from from smartphones is that the legal limit of uh, radiation that can come from a smartphone is already set 10 times lower than the noticeable amount that would trigger an issue on the skin or or anything else. So, well, that's like where the levels where scientists found evidence of harm, yeah, it's 10 times lower than that. That's the legal limit. So once that's breached... 
if it is breached, you're not necessarily um, at an immediate risk if you're using yeah. an iPhone 12. So I think that's quite important to say. Um, but if you do have an iPhone 12, perhaps it is worth maybe getting it checked out. I don't know what tool you would use to, to find that out. Do, do you know anything like that? No. Geiger counter? Uh, no, I really don't know. Yeah, not, not something you've got in the shed usually. <laughs> I'd be amazed if someone hasn't created a Geiger counter from an app at some stage. But uh, we'll move on. <laughs> Elon Musk, for it is he, uh, is, the, uh, is he in every week's tech news? No, we we definitely had one. Re we had a whole episode, I think, where he we didn't get mentioned. Didn't mention him. Okay. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> this is about AI and the sort of drive to regulate how AI is used and uh, control, if possible, uh, the power of the technology. And uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk reports that there was an overwhelming consensus after uh, a group of what have been called tech heavyweights, although, as we know, there's still been no date set for Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Elon Musk's uh, cage fights, or whatever that, that's turning out to be. <laughs> yeah. these, these people have grouped together. Uh, you've got uh, Satya Nadella from Microsoft. You've got Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Google Sundar Pichai, some bloke called Bill Gates. Don't know him. And uh, don't want to either. And uh, and this was a forum convened by um, the um, Senate's majority leader, Chuck Schumer. And it's, it's basically about finding answers to how AI can be regulated. Yeah, which is, is yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's the people that are leading the, the discussion are obviously the people at the very top of tech. So that's understandable. That's what always happens. But you have to feel that these people are probably not going to do it with the best intentions, surely. I, mean, I know they've all got reputation for things here and there and everywhere, and lots of the names you've mentioned have been found with privacy scandals and all this sort of stuff. So trusting these guys with the future of AI on the platforms that they run specifically that would benefit enormously from uh, certain rules being made and crafted to suit them just always sits a bit oddly with me on a side note i was watching uh, bill gates in front of a commission years ago and the evasion with which he um conducts himself refusing to answer any questions just dissembling and being obtuse intentionally obtuse and obstructive and i, I was watching i was thinking how you wouldn't trust this man to pop to the shop and buy a loaf of bread never mind put his software on your computer so yeah. bad it's it's yeah. absolutely appalling conduct especially in you know in in that context i'm going to include a link to that in the show notes because it is worth watching so um yeah it looks like there's going to be some artificial intelligence oversight but i mean it does feel as though nailing the, the stable door back on after the horse has already sort of bolted and won the grand national doesn't it Oh yeah, I, I totally agree, Christian. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see as well. Maybe the different approaches that the uh, EU uh, will will take to it as well. We know that the EU AI Act is currently going through European Parliament, so that's going to curtail and limit some of the things that can be done with AI tools throughout the European Union. And because of the size of the EU, uh, I don't know how many members there are, I guess 500 million odd, uh, that's citizens, um, 
these things often have great sway across the sea as well, because as much as the US often acts as, um, you know, it is the, the forefront of technology in, in almost every way, they still have to play ball with the rest of the world. And in a market as big as the EU, it can um, cause conflict. Do you go to casinos? Aha! I, the last time I was in a casino was in Las Vegas ah. at, at CES. Um, Did you go to the MGM Grand? I did go to the MGM Grand, yeah. Did you? Just opposite where we were staying, yeah. Wow. Uh, this is one of the most um, astonishing cybercrime stories I've ever come across. Customers reported problems with slot machines and online room booking systems at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Uh, she po uh, One customer posted a video on TikTok of slot machines and gambling games at the resort being switched off. One customer had to leave the MGM Grand to buy food. Uh, I mean, if you were going to target anywhere, I guess it would be a casino, wouldn't it? This is very, it's quite ostentatious bit of uh, cybercrime. And MGM Resorts has confirmed a cybersecurity incident. So this wasn't just like a power outage or some sort of internal failure. This is what it was. It was cybercrime. Oh, yeah, big time. So there's other reports on X, formerly Twitter, that the attack on MGM Resorts may well have been a ransomware attack. Everything is now up and running again. So you have to wonder, did they solve the problem or did they pay a ransom? Mm. That's speculation. But like you said, it definitely was a direct cyber attack on the resort. And yeah, if you were going to extort someone... Why not choose a colossal uh, chain of casinos and holiday resorts that span not just Vegas, but like the whole of the US? They have some of the biggest hotels and yeah. casinos across the whole country. So lots of money there to be taken back, maybe a disgruntled Perhaps. customer. <laughs> yeah, my um, I'm afraid I'm, I have a rather limited frame of reference to this. My um, main knowledge of um, casinos in Las Vegas comes from uh, the Bond movie Diamonds Are Forever. So, uh -huh, okay. <laughs> in, in which um, Q uses some sort of ring-based gadget to um, get money out of the machines by hacking them. He's essentially committing cybercrime on behalf of the British government right there and then. Yes, Does, he uses it to alter the magnetic wheels in it. That's it, yeah. yeah I don't like that, know yeah. if they use those I don't style think they do of that machines anymore. anymore. No. <laughs> Maybe it was the, the Bond film that gave them the tip-off. Like, oh, I see, I see. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. We've reached that part of the show where we go through some tips and tricks that we make better use out of your technology. Uh, so we've got a selection of uh, discussions coming up. We're going to start with this. This is something, I haven't seen one of these in ages, Gavin, and then I, I saw you uh, publish an article on headphone splitters and how they work. I'd completely forgotten even that headphone splitters existed. My sister and I used to have one in an old, uh, uh, a cheap old, a, a £10 Walkman from Boots. We used to sit in the back of mum and dad's car, sharing this Walkman with really bad earphones, um, using the splitter, listening to uh, audiobooks when we went on long car journeys many, many years ago. It was a similar situation that prompted me to think about the right about i saw um two uh, young people on a train uh and they were using a headphone splitter and i was like wow in the age of you know bluetooth multi-point connections where <laughs> you could connect yes. multiple things to single devices these people are still rocking a headphone splitter so i was like i wonder how those actually work and um 
I'll tell you how they work, Christian. Okay. So, um, there are two main types of headphone splitters. There are passive ones and active splitters. Uh, a passive one simply splits the audio signal coming from the host device into two signals and sends it off down either side so you can both hear. An active splitter um, boosts the signal to each set of headphones so that you get a similar listening experience. Now, I'm sure most people that have used a headphone splitter over the years have probably found that one side sounds better or perhaps the left and the right aren't quite the same um, mm -hmm. and that's because that's what happens with a passive splitter splitting the audio signal can create issues um, as you'd expect because it's effectively trying to divide it into and replicate it at the same time so that's what happens okay. um yeah so they're, they're quite good i mean they're such simple devices um but an active one can make the listening experience uh, not just for two people, but for like a whole group of people, like really, really good. And they're tiny little devices. I noticed that you can get ones that don't just split it into two, like what multi-splitters that allow yeah, like multiple 3.5 millimeter jacks to connect. That's kind of, uh, that's next level. I think it's way advanced from when uh, we would have been using yeah. them. <laughs> um, but they do. They look more like a like a hub, basically. Don't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. Um, and you can, like Christian said, you can plug in multiple 3.5 mil jacks. That's like your standard headphone jack on a wired headphone. Um, and multiple people can listen to the same audio source. So perfect for like a train journey or a, a flight with multiple kids or something like that. And there's a lovely uh, tweet that you've included there about uh, the romance of sharing music through a splitter. Oh, yeah. Well, do you? I, I remember doing that with people, sharing wired headphones yeah, yeah, with people yeah. being like, listen to this. Yeah. Um, and now with all the in earbuds and stuff like that, I think if someone came at me and said, listen to this, and tried to put their earbud in my ear, I'd probably run a mile. <laughs> yeah, probably. And the great thing about the splitters is they're really affordable as well, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they're ultra cheap. Even the active ones don't cost very much. I think you're looking at like 15, 20 bucks maybe for a really good quality one. There are things you can consider like the connector materials, which you ideally want gold-plated or nickel-plated connectors. Mm -hmm. The cables should be of a good quality. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things you probably get somewhat, at least get what you pay for if you get something ultra cheap. You know, it's going to be passive. The wiring inside might not be up to scratch, that sort of thing. So like all things in life, you know, try, maybe spend a little bit more than you were initially thinking and it will make your overall experience much better. Sticking with cables, USB cables. I came across possibly the longest USB cable I've ever seen uh, a few days ago. It's actually featured in a review that I did for make use of for a dash cam. It was massive. Um, and yet, I don't even think it was as long as the maximum cable length for different USB standards. Gavin, you've um, compiled a, uh, article, uh, an article on USB cables. I'm just going to... While you just have a little chat about that, I'm just going to refer to this review and just double-check how long this cable was, okay? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So uh, some of the things in this article really surprised me, actually, Christian, Mm. Um, especially the uh, maximum cable lengths. Uh, So the old school USB, the original USB one, the maximum length for that was five meters, which is 16 feet. Um, The current generation that we are now on that most people will use is probably USB 3. USB 4 is out. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. But USB 3 has a maximum length of three meters. Uh, And USB 4, the most latest standard, uh, that figure drops significantly. So the maximum official cable length set by the USB implementers forum, the people that decide these things, is 0.8 metres, which is like, that's actually quite shocking, I think. Um, Considering how many USB devices we now all have and use, you'd think that the length would perhaps have increased over time and with each generation. However, it's actually the inverse of that, because with each generation, the amount of data processing uh, capabilities rises and the length of the cable directly affects how much data can be processed. Hence, the cable lengths, the suggested cable lengths, decreasing at the same time. Ah, that's interesting. Now, just before I um, give you the answer to this, I'm interested in what... um you've, you've um, listed the usb tabs what's one by one two by one and two by two with the usb 3.2 oh they're the like iterative generations of usb uh 3.2 so they had you know four four goes at it almost okay um or three <laughs> goes and then there was going to be another one but they dropped that right um, okay so I haven't included the data processing for each of those because I was focusing mainly on the on the distances. But what um, one by one to two by two, like two by two, has the best better data processing effectively. I see. Now I don't know exactly which one of these iterations I was using, but it was a three meter cable, which it was still the longest USB cable I've ever seen. And yes. uh, my car is five meters long, so three meters was perfect for uh, connecting the rear camera around the upholstery of the car to the front camera. and But what I did notice about it, it was um, a lot thicker than a standard USB USB 3 cable. Uh, probably about one and a half times, if not twice as thick. This is probably because the, the, the rear camera had two cameras. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that was the, um, that's the Vantu Nexus 5, which I'll probably talk about a little bit later. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, USB cables... Pr- I'm endlessly fascinated by them, I have to admit. I think it's because there's so many different types. Yeah, it's wild. And then when you throw in the Myriad USB connector types, which we're not going to get into now because that could probably be a whole other section on a whole other show. But it makes for a a, a difficult um, experience for people who maybe aren't so well-versed in USB cables. um, Because, I mean, they all look the same, like you said, unless like it's notably thicker or on the packet it specifically says it's an active USB cable or something like that, then uh, how else are you going to know? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the best thing about USB 3.0 as well, isn't it? It's just a single standard connector. So all those other USB cables that, um, that, that with, the, with the old ports and the slight variations on the ports, like those, ones, those sort of long, wide ones you used to get for uh, portable hard drives, for example, USB 3.0 gets rid of all of that, and you've just got a standard-sized, small, easily used port and connector, haven't you? And which yeah, goes so in either way. You don't have to, you're not struggling with the port, trying to get it in the right way up, because it'll go in either way. 
That's it, yeah. Uh, so USB with USB yeah. 3, you'll find a lot of USB-C cable connectors. Um, and as you said, yeah, they're, they're reversible, which, oh, God, the amount of times you try and plug it in one way and then switch it over and it would still be wrong. <laughs> yeah. How's that? How's that work? <laughs> the classic. Feels <laughs> so like there's a little little imp inside the computer turning the USB port around every time you turn the cable around. <laughs> okay, speaking of computers, which we weren't, but we are now. Listen, if you've got an old computer using those those types of uh, USB uh, 2.0 ports, for example, or older, uh, the chances are that you're going to struggle to run Windows. Uh, certainly a, a recent version of Windows and not a version of Windows that is regularly updated. So what is your option? It's interesting. Gavin and I are having a, a kind of a, a battle on makeuseof.com of um, articles about lightweight Linux distributions that uh, <laughs> get alternately <laughs> updated. And I have kind of thought about saying maybe maybe you should just do both of them and we'll un- unify them into one. But they, uh, they're, they're, they're individually interesting and popular in their own right. So uh, anyway, so if you've got an old computer, you need a lightweight Linux distribution. Basically, forget about Windows. Your computer, you still want to use it because, you know, computers are expensive. Linux is free. I mean, this uh, basically tells itself, doesn't it? You know, this is right. This, this this argument is writing itself. You've got a free operating system. You've got an old computer. You can't afford to buy a new computer. Well, you put them together, don't you? Now, it's going to be possibly, potentially difficult for you to find a Linux distribution that will run on your computer because modern Linux distributions are, uh, I wouldn't say they're as rehorse Rehorse? They're not as resource heavy as Windows, but they uh, they're getting there. So, you want a lightweight distribution? You can get distributions for uh, a system with one gigabyte of RAM. You can get Linux distributions, which is basically a version of Linux, uh, which has been uh, compiled by a particular group of people. You can get them for five hundred megabytes of RAM, and even for systems with less than one hundred megabytes of RAM. We're talking very old now. I'm going to go through the list of distributions and as i say linux distribution is essentially a version of linux that's been compiled by a particular team or in rare cases an individual so you've got uh, x ubuntu which is a version of ubuntu which is the most popular linux distribution you've got uh, zorin os Lite, you've got arch linux bunsen labs linux lithium Bode Linux and Linux Lite, which has got a great name and looks very much like Windows, as does Zorin OS Lite. So if you're a bit nervous about switching to Linux, then uh, those two in particular are ones that you should probably consider. And those are all under one gigabyte of RAM required, or one gigabyte or more. Um, Linux OSs requiring just 500 megabytes or less are Porteous and Puppy Linux. And then if you're using a very old system, maybe a netbook or a, a creaky old laptop, a Linux distro under 100 megabytes of RAM required. Uh, you've got Slitas and Tiny Core Linux. Now, the um, hard drive capacities are required for these and uh, processing required uh, will differ uh, depending on your system and which one that you choose. But roughly speaking, uh, you know, generally speaking, these distros will run on older hardware and you know, breathe new life into old hardware. Um, save you taking a trip to the recycling plant for the uh, electronics and stuff like that, which is a bit of a pain. It's, I, I always feel sad giving away um, laptops and stuff like that to places like that. Yeah. I, if you know that they're going to do something with them, um, then I don't feel so bad. But yeah, seeing, I was at our local um, tip recently and seeing people throwing all sorts of... Uh, 
electronic hardware into the tip. And I always just want to stop them and say, oh, what's wrong with it? Yes. <laughs> Maybe I could just go home with a boot full of stuff. I know that I would be crucified by my wife if I did that. So <laughs> I have to stand there and sadly watch all this thing being thrown away. But but you are right. These, these Linux distros are a great way of breathing new life into... Uh, old hardware especially those like laptops that you are considering throwing out or that you really think have nothing left to give uh because they can be you can use these linux distros for other things as well can't you like hosting servers and um using them in in, in other manners like that yes i think they're great really i you know i accidentally came i didn't accidentally i've I was, I wasn't even forced into doing it. Basically, I'd, I'd flirted with Linux for many years, and then started using Raspberry Pi, and it's you know, and I just became more and more familiar with it. And then for the past uh, three or four years, I've been using Linux as my main operating system. I haven't looked back. I'm not using Windows. Yeah, you're completely gone now, aren't you? We have indeed reached that point of the show where we look at recommendations. What is a recommendation? Well, it's a uh, piece of hardware, a game, a TV show, a movie, or uh, some electronic-based experience that we've enjoyed and we wish to share with you, our listener. Gavin, you haven't been on the show for a couple of weeks. Do you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? As I've not been on for a couple of weeks, Christian... Yeah, I've actually got two recommendations. Hold your that? horses! I know. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> so uh, I'll start off with my uh, my first one. It's quite a small thing. Uh, it's the uh, Carpio 2.0 from Delta Hub, uh, okay. and that gives you no idea of what I'm about to tell you. Not at all. Um, it, it's a wrist rest um, that is ergonomically designed to fit uh, all manner of uh, wrists, basically. It's made by a Slovenian company. They cost €35, I think maybe about $40. Um, And it's the best wrist rest I have ever used by far. It's it's genuinely sensational. And I know uh, the idea of getting uh, (laughs) excited and worked up about a wrist rest is uh, somewhat niche, but... Everybody uses computers, and a lot of people use computers for many hours per day. Everybody uses a mouse, unless you're using a laptop, etc. Um, and I have found this uh, tiny little device to make my wrists just feel that bit better at the end of the day. Um, so is this so the really cushions type? Because I've seen some that now clamp to a desk and sort of prop your arm at the right angle. No, this is a, um, a fully moulded... Um, wrist rest that slides around under your wrist as you go with it so you place slides yeah so it's got like a smooth plastic molded bottom with like indentations so it doesn't get stuck on anything okay uh you can use it on all sorts of surfaces i was using it on my um on a wooden desk i'm now using it on a felted uh desk mat you know i've used it on other things as well um and it just helps your wrist like have a little bit more stability and you're just slightly off the surface which is one of those things that can lead to carpal tunnel depending on how mm-hmm. you use your your mouse whether you use a the, the palm grip or the claw grip uh, grip or whatever um so i've just been really impressed with this uh little little device yeah i'm, I'm really happy with it uh, and so that's uh, the the delta hub that delta hub is the company sorry and the product is the carpio 
And now the second thing I have to tell you about is a set of headphones. Would you believe it? But no. I know, I know. But these are headphones that I am dubbing the best budget headphones of 2023. Uh, so that's a pretty big accolade considering mm. how many I test. Uh, and these are the Anchor Soundcore Space One headphones. They were just released a few weeks back. Um, I've just had uh, an extensive trial with them. They are really, really good. They cost $100. Uh, probably the best active noise cancelling you're going to get for that price. Um, you really will struggle to find anything better. The sound quality is really, really good, um, as you expect from most Anchor Soundcore products these days. But it's got like a really good array of additional features as well. So it has the uh, customized Hear ID EQ. So that's where you go on the app and it does a hearing test for you and creates a unique EQ for your ears. So that's a good feature. It has wear detection. So when you take them off and put them down, your music stops, uh, multi-point connections, um, uh, and, and a whole host of other things. Uh, I'm not 100% keen on the color. Uh, I have to say I was sent okay. a a blue one it's like a kind of baby blue it's um not my cup of tea <laughs> but uh overall for 100 dollars uh and even cheaper in the uk at 90 pounds um you will not get a better set of budget headphones like i, I just you just won't do it so uh yeah massive uh massively positive about these um space one headphones excellent okay uh well I have it's just you've just thrown me by saying space because uh, at the very moment <laughs> you said space I was looking at my search box in my browser which says Lego Moonbase <laughs> and I was transported back to childhood to the days when I had lots of Lego space which uh, most of which I, I, I sold in order to pay for uh, my wedding 18 years ago which I don't regret Wonderful toys. No, no. Um, I've just joined. I've just joined. The reason it says Lego members because I've just joined a uh, space Lego group on Facebook. That's basically what Facebook is for now, isn't it? Groups of people with the similar interests. Oh yeah, I would agree. Yeah, now that the the, the regular feed basically doesn't work whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, back to my recommendation, which is nothing to do with Lego on this occasion, although you know. Bear with me. We have got a few weeks ago. I reviewed a thing called the Next, the Vantu Nexus Four Pro, and due to some uh, build issues with the device and installation problems with the, the GPS mounting unit, I was really annoyed with it, and I gave it a really bad review. Now, they also sent me the Vantu Nexus Five, which, on the face of it, is identical, except for the fact that the rear camera unit has two cameras mounted on it and uh most importantly it installs properly there's no problem getting it to adhere to anything i didn't have to replace any of the 3m strips that uh, ships with it or anything like that and really good dash cam really pleased with it the um it doesn't do 4k it's only a 2k uh dash cam whereas the um nexus 4 pro is 4k but what it does give you is the most coverage you're likely to get in a car four cameras so you've got one looking out one looking out the back, then one facing in from the back and one facing in from the front, which uh, maybe isn't perfect for people who basically, you know, commute or drive 
the children to and from places, but very useful for taxis, Ubers, transport vans, or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it's good quality camera. The biggest bonus with these dash cams from Vantru, the E2, which I reviewed about a year ago or earlier this year, that's a really, really good dash cam, which, I've, uh, which I still use to this day. They have really good apps, basically. The apps are superb. They're the best dash cam apps I've come across. And they, they give you all the GPS information as well when you t- take the data off. Vantry probably my favourite dashcam brand at the moment. I was disappointed with the uh, N4 Pro, but uh, very impressed with the N5. Oh, okay. How, it's so funny that they could be so far apart, yet made by the same company within a similar time frame. Could you use the same um, fixtures for both of them? Did you have to like rewire the car to switch them I over, hoped or? I could, but no, I couldn't. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, I mean, that, that's part of my um, interest in the USB cable conversation earlier on because the two cables, uh, the one for the the four cam unit, is slightly thicker than the one for the three cam unit. Ah, so interesting. I'm guessing it then maybe it was yeah, like a powered cable to power both of the cameras and get the data back. That's, yeah, that's quite yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's my recommendation, and uh, we will give you links to uh, everything that we can in the show notes. You've reached the end of this week's really useful podcast, I'm sad to say. We'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us.